So as we were reflecting upon before, the first five verses of this chapter uh, present us with uh, some details of what happened in terms of Jonah reaching the city and and crying out against it. And then verse five is given to us, and it's uh, given to us as kind of a uh, an overview of what happened. It shows that the people's response is immediate, and uh, it shows uh, us that uh, they turned uh, to God. Believe God and continue to fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And then we read uh, what happens here. And as we look at verses six to eight in detail, we find that the king sets an example, and the king issues a decree. <coughs> And then the king expresses hope. And then God relents. So that's what we're looking at this afternoon. The king sets an example. The king issues a decree. The king expresses hope. And then God relents. This king is actually uh, doing something that is remarkable. He's called the king of Nineveh. He's probably a, a king of a province, uh, we, we think, um, not specifically only the king of that of that city, but he's referred to as the king of Nineveh because Nineveh is going to repent, and we recognize that he, in some sense, represents them. When he arises from his throne, removes his royal robes, and uh, steps down uh, from this throne. That's an amazing thing, that the king would step down from his throne and remove his royal robes. He still has his authority. Uh, He's issuing a proclamation, and the people are going to listen to this proclamation. But when the king steps down from his throne and lays aside his robe and covers himself with sackcloth and with ashes, he is actually giving an example to the people, the people who are going to follow in his example. And that's an amazing thing for a a king like this to, to do because... It's something that reminds us of something that happened in the life of David. When David was confronted by the prophet Nathan in 2 Samuel 12 and verse 13, he said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So David, as God's anointed king, said, I have sinned against the Lord. He gave an example, and he was representing the people, but he himself was willing to acknowledge his sin. And then later on in 2 Samuel 24 and verse 17, when David inappropriately engages in a census, uh, he speaks to the Lord uh, when he saw the angels striking the people, and he said, Surely I have sinned, and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. David is willing to have himself and and even his his father's house be those who take the penalty for the sin. And we see here how David is a picture of the one who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't have sin to repent from, and yet he is leading the people in the direction of turning away from their sin. And we see this already as we stretch backward in redemptive history uh, and see the work of, of Jesus Christ expressed in the life of this king of Nineveh. That's an amazing thing. The king sets the example. He steps down from his throne. He removes his royal robes. Uh, He covers himself with sackcloth. And this king is leading the people 
in turning away from their sin. Then he issues a decree. And his decree involves outward repentance and then inward repentance. He calls for fasting. Fasting, as he says, even from water and from food and even to include the animals. That's a striking thing. It actually happened at certain points in the ancient Near East in Persian cultures. Uh, they would, uh, when they were in a time of great crisis, call upon the animals to go without sleep or to go without something uh, because they thought that was going to uh, help the situation before the gods. They had this idea that you had to appease gods, and so you had your animals participate in that. Outward repentance, sackcloth, the clothes of mourning, the clothes that you wear when you're when you're turning away from sin. And even the animals are supposed to wear them. Let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. So there's this outward repentance. And then there's the inward call, the thing that the king is telling them to do. The decree involves calling out to God and turning from their evil ways. They have to turn from what they've been doing. You notice there's no uh, wrong explanation of, well, this is why we, we think, okay, I know it's hard to accept, you know, the people of, of Nineveh, uh, you might have done something wrong in the past five days or something. Um, I'm, I'm just telling you that, you know, search your heart and see. No, just basically turn from your evil ways and from the violence that's in your hands. He tells the people that. It's acknowledged and the people know because God is working on them and because mankind uh, even after the fall, has a conscience. So the king sets the example and he issues a decree, but then he also expresses hope. Look at what he says. He says uh, in verse 9, Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Who can tell? Who knows? God might do two things. He might he might turn from his wrath and he might relent. He might not decide not to express his wrath. Now, we remember that the way that the Ninevites came to this understanding was this short uh, passage from, from Jonah, this short statement, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. A very ambiguous word, a word that could mean destroyed or a word that could mean turn around, be overturned. And God uses that language to cause the Ninevites to actually turn around rather than to be destroyed by his anger. An amazing thing. God does a work of grace and he does it through this pagan king who expresses hope, a hope that reminds us of the hope that was expressed in the middle of Joel as uh, the people of God express the same, the same uh, desire. Who knows? God may not bring his wrath upon us. Pagan people. And yet Jonah knew, and that's why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He tells us in chapter 4, because he knew that God was a God who stays the same gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. 
his great confidence was that God was the same. And Jonah knew, because God was the same, that that confidence presented the possibility that the people of Nineveh might actually be delivered from God's wrath. The king of Nineveh begins to understand this. God may turn and they might not perish. But then we see what God actually does in verse 10. Verse 10 says, Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The king has expressed hope. He's set an example. He's issued a decree. The, the people have responded. We already saw that in verse 5. They believe God. They proclaim a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The animals don't taste any, any food. They don't eat or drink, drink any water. They're covered with sackcloth. A cow. Sackcloth on them. Not understanding. It's for the people to give this God, whoever he might be, an opportunity to see that they are serious. Serious as Persians can be. And God sees what they do, did. And he saw how they turned from evil. And then it says God relented of disaster. So here's the question. Did God change his mind? In Malachi, uh, verses, uh, chapter 3 and verse 6, God says this, I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we, re we return? And then he gives them a way to return. What we find out in this chapter, what we find out in Malachi as well, is that God has an unchangeable character. I am the Lord. I do not change, he says. It's quite clear. And yet the way that God relates to people in different situations varies according to different situations. He goes on to say, and this is to his people, return to me and I will return to you. So God, who does not change, is relating to his people and his people uh, engage in various actions and God's actions toward them vary. He says this in Jeremiah 18, uh, verses 7 and 8. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That's what God's saying. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, then he says, quite clearly, in the language of our, of our passage, I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. That's because God is unchanging in a changing world. 
in a world in which people are called upon to turn from evil, those who are, who are set against it. James 1 and verse 7 puts it this, this way. 1 and verse 17, I'm sorry. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. There's no variation. There's no shadow of turning. There's, there's nothing that changes in God. He's unchanging in his character. He's always good. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. God is always good. That's why he's able to give good gifts. A variation, talking about the, the pattern of day and night, the way that uh, night begins to uh, come upon us, or we see uh, shadows of turning, shifting shadows caused by the sun and the moon. This is the way in which God is. And that tells us something, something quite important. Something important to the gospel. You see, the sending of Jesus Christ was not plan B. And that's important for us to know. Because we live in a world where people, as they consider uh, the way in which God interacts with, with mankind, consider the idea that God might be the one who changes, that he adopts, him, adapts himself to uh, the circumstances of man. And there's a sense in which you can see that the arrival of Jesus Christ is the perfect solution to the situation of man. God is uh, one who is unchanging, and yet he, he provides the Lord Jesus Christ, who has a divine nature and a human nature in one person. And he remains that way throughout his earthly ministry. So that as he's able to sweat, as he's able to uh, experience opposition to himself as he feels the, the thorns uh, press upon his brow, as the spear is thrust into his side, as, as the nails are dug into his wrists. The Lord Jesus Christ is the unchanging God, but at the same time, he becomes the means by which we are able to turn. It's only because the wrath of God was fully removed. It's only because of the work of the Holy Spirit applying the work of Jesus Christ that we're able to turn, that we're able to uh, truly uh, have God's uh, wrath removed from us. The people in Nineveh experienced this for uh, a period of time in their history. Later on in the book of Nahum, they would be objects of God's wrath. But there is a great work of uh, change uh, in the status of people who come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's expressed in the book of Ephesians in this way. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And when you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. By nature, children of wrath. It's important when we read the book of Jonah that we don't look at Nineveh and say, those pagan people. 
They thought that they could put sackcloth on their animals. They thought that perhaps God might might change. And and in his grace and in his providence, uh, he relented from the wrath that he was going to send on them. But they were not worthy. Because the Bible says that all of us uh, were by nature children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a transition in history from wrath to grace. The arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ and his work accomplishes this transition in history. This is the basis on which Nineveh was able to repent. This is the basis on which anyone is able to repent because God has brought about a transition from wrath to grace in history. And he's brought it about through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of 1 Thessalonians puts it this way. uh, As the testimony of the Thessalonians is spread uh, far and wide, the Apostle Paul writes uh, that these other people uh, who see their faith in God uh, attest to it so that the apostles don't need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us, present tense, from the wrath to come. You see that time in which David was willing to provide himself to be uh, the means by which God's wrath was turned away from his people was a picture of the work of Jesus Christ, the work that would cause the transition from wrath to grace in history, the transition that would allow us to turn from our idols to serve the living and true God. And now we wait for his son from heaven the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already been raised from the dead. And right now, he is the one who presently delivers us from the wrath to come. What a marvelous thing. The Ninevites had the experience of seeing uh, the living God uh, hold back his wrath. They followed the king. And the king followed this, this hope that he had that perhaps... Uh, this God might turn. But we have an even greater hope. We have one who presently delivers us from the wrath to come. So anytime you're aware of your sin, aware of the things that separate you from God, aware of the fact that God is unchanging, and begin to grow concerned in your conscience that you have offended this God, which is the right thing to be concerned about, you can remember this, that God has provided for you a deliverer from his wrath, a means by which you can turn from those sins that 
you um, are wrapped up in. And it's through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that arrival of Jesus Christ was specifically so that you might turn. It was never plan B. It was never something that God decided that he would do just because you were so caught up. But he did it in order to make the transition from wrath to grace in history. And that transition from wrath to grace is to be applied to each one of us individually by the work of his spirit. We are called upon by the living God to turn to Jesus Christ, to see him as the present deliverer from God's wrath and to turn from our sins in turning to him and to rest in the fact that this God says this to us. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Which is even more super abundantly true and concrete and real because of the presence of Jesus Christ as the deliverer from God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for what the Lord Jesus Christ does for us even today. We recognize that when we see this great, uh, massive uh, turning to you in Nineveh, and we are excited about it, and we are rightly uh, impressed that this large group of people would turn from their sin and their evil ways with the expectation and hope that you would turn from your wrath. And when you did, it was a marvelous display of your grace to people who did not have the original covenant relationship uh, that was given uh, to the people of Israel. But nevertheless, they were made in your image. And you had designed for a transition from wrath to grace in history. A transition that is expressed in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we remember those times when we change. When we fade and fall and stumble and get confused and cling to our idols. And we remember those times when we think that our sin is not something that you could possibly remove. The stain is too great. And we remember that you are unchanging. And we tremble. And then we remember that you, the unchanging God, have provided a way for your wrath to be permanently removed from your people permanently removed through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, entering into history and tethering us to your unchanging character as the wrath remover. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the glory of the gospel expressed in Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would grant to us that on the basis of this wondrous demonstration of your grace, that we would turn, that we would repent, 
and that we would embrace the gracious, wrath-bearing work of the Lord Jesus Christ more closely. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.